Just like KU football, we're back, baby. Welcome to episode two of The Horse Race, hosted by yours truly, Nick Hinman. But instead of bringing on Bama, this week I'm bringing on my friend Grant Daly. Grant is a sophomore from Wichita studying history and global international studies and has worked in politics on both sides of the aisle. Most recently, he served as a field director in Jeff Collier's primary bid. He is here with me today to talk about his experiences in politics and views on political life in America. Grant, how the hell are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Honestly, I'm a little sick, though, so uh, you know, excuse the coughing and snorting and stuff. Just makes me sound a whole lot better, bringing on the NPR voice. Oh, so that's why I'm here? That's yeah. <laughs> you're, you're my foil. All right. So, um, you know, I, I just kind of mentioned that you, you served as a field director in Jeff Collier's woefully unsuccessful primary bid. So well, You make it sound like we got decimated. We lost by only 343 votes. That's almost less than 0.1%. No, it is. It just makes it worse, though. It just it's it's the, <laughs> the victory was in your it was within your grasp, and it just slipped out. Yeah. But we're not going to focus too much on that today. Although I would love to just revel in your defeat. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa! We're going to wait till November and see who's really yeah, crying. Yeah, probably we'll, both of us, but we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll probably both be crying on the floor. So um, I guess we'll start off actually just with a question about that experience. So have you had a chance yet to like? reflect over your experiences with the Collier campaign, you know, and kind of think about what you learned, not necessarily in political skill or like industry knowledge, but rather just how going through that experience, losing um, to someone or not, I don't want to keep bringing up the fact that you lost, but running against someone like Chris Kobach um, and, you know, kind of negotiating with maybe and also the independent of the race. Like, what did you learn about voters in Kansas or just politics as a whole or the way the whole thing went down? What were your, some of your main takeaways from that? Yeah, that's a that's a very complex question off the bat. I see what you're doing here. Give me, right give me off tilter and then you're going to make me look dumb. Uh, well, to be totally honest, it was a, it was a experience in which I'll probably remember for the rest of my life in which I did take away a lot of political knowledge took a lot away a lot of industrial knowledge in terms of how things worked but in terms of the voters of Kansas and to the degree of what going up against Chris Kobach left me with in terms of like a perception it's really interesting you know this last primary had some of the highest turnouts amongst Republicans almost ever in Kansas politics if not the highest turnout which I think there's something to be said for that in terms of perhaps people are understanding the importance of getting out and vote now more so than they used to, or at least maybe we're seeing a, a shift in the tides there. That being said, though, I, I think Kansas voters, they're worried. I think they're overall worried. A lot of the people I talked to were worried about their hospital shutting down, worried about their school shutting down, worried about having enough money to pay the next tax, either increases or even sustaining the level of taxes. And regardless of your politics, I think people are highly concerned for the future. They feel unsettled. They don't feel necessarily all that safe. And there may be something to be said of the degree of perception this is amongst Kansas citizens versus reality. But the fact is that it's affecting how people vote. So that's actually something we talked about a little bit last week is sort of the, the specific mindset of Kansas voters. And um, we kind of talked about how it seems like we're always constantly in some moral struggle but i think it's interesting you mentioned that you know voters are scared um you know something i notice at least in in my work on on the democratic side there is slightly a sense of optimism 
you know, in terms of like, this could be the year that we make real changes. But, but at the root of it all, what I hear from candidates, volunteers, and voters alike is the, the same feeling of, I'm getting involved, I'm running, I'm working for this candidate, I'm volunteering, I'm voting in this election, because when 20 years down the road, when my kids ask me what I did during this time that was, you know, scary or confusing or just crucial, like, I want to be able to say that I did something. So I think that's interesting, just, you know, saying that it, it, this is a time that brings people out to vote, brings people out to volunteer, um, but not necessarily because it's it's a it's a good reason, you know, it, it's it is kind of based in fear, which I think is an interesting way of looking at it. So we're going to move on sort of the main question I want to talk about today, and it's a bit of a thought experiment. So I want you for a second just to think about kind of what the political climate in the United States, we're going national level now, what the political climate in the United States is like today. OK, get that in your brain. Listener, do that, too. Now, I want you to imagine what political life in the United States looks like in your perfect world. Okay. What are some of the differences that you notice? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really important question to ask ourselves. In terms of what the political climate is in the United States today, I think it's extraordinarily divisive. I'm not going to go as far as to say that this is the most divisive it's ever been before. Uh, I don't know that. As a history major, I can point to a couple other times in our history in which perhaps it was a little bit more divisive. You can point to Watergate in the 70s, or you can point to, I mean, people seem pretty divisive right after Hoover was pushed out of office in terms of I mean, divisive political ideologies, right? And I mean, lest we forget, the literal civil war. I mean, exactly. I hate to be that guy, but exactly. I mean, there, you know, we kind of take it for granted that was only 150 years ago no, that we I, were literally killing each other in the fields of Virginia and Illinois and, you know, everywhere in between. So, well, and yeah. <laughs> you, can, and you can take it back even further to, I mean, the initial establishment of what would become our democracy as we know it today, divisive or divisions between loyalists and people who wanted to leave England. I mean, we are a country, I'd say, widely defined by the differences amongst ourselves. That being said, though, what makes us different is our ability to have that discourse and come together and talk about it and come to a resolution at some point, which goes into what I would say is my, my perfect world in terms of political discourse and what politics could look like someday. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a pretty moderate guy. As you would describe me, I'm radically moderate or centrist, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. Mm. I think that middle ground where maybe not today, but at least at one point most Americans stood in and would have sided there is good for progression and is good for coming to the center to making sure not only we can hold up rights for everyone, but making sure that we hold up rights for the majority of people and move into, a, I'd say, like a political world that people feel more welcomed in. When you rush to the externalities and go to the very end of political discourse and make it the most radicalized you possibly can in terms of right or left or however you want to take it, it's not good for people. So we've identified, you know, you, you think that one of the problems is the division. I think there's a couple ways you can you can cut that. You can look at it as either the issue is literally the the polarity of left and right, you know, the ideological division, or you can look at it from a rhetoric standpoint in terms of like you know the debate over civility. So which one do you I mean? Do you think it's both of them? Do you think which one? Because you know, we, it seems like we can maybe solve 
some of those easier than others, you know, we can start talking to each other a little more civilly. Is that related to the fact that we've gotten to extreme ends of the of the spectrum? What do you think? I think it's a little bit of both because on one side, I mean, you can look to McCain and how he acted during the 2008 election, how when people in front of him would call it Obama and say that President Obama was a terrorist or had Muslim background, he called them out on it and say, no, that's wrong, that that's almost nearly un-American to even assert such a thing, be it important, relevant or whatever. But to that great extension, I think when you have the background in terms of saying that you're going to speak in a civility way, but not actually practice in civility, then what's even the point? If I'm going to look you in the eye and smile and say we're the best of friends, and when you turn around, I'm going to talk trash and stab you in the back, then there's no point to it in the first place. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you can start being kind with words and being more open with your ears, but if that doesn't transcend into actually how you act and your willingness to move and budge on issues, then there's no point to the first. You have to accept the detriment of the latter. So I think... There's this interesting, you know, point that I've, I've heard brought up in terms of the death of civility in politics. When was there civility in exactly. politics? Exactly. Well, that's my question, number one. And, and then the, number two is that just among the public discourse, I think what was civility was what we used to call political correctness. And then everyone got really, really mad about it. And now that we've destroyed ways of talking about things that aim to be courteous to other people's opinions – We've taken that, and like, sure, there, there are some instances in which political correctness extends probably just beyond civility, but I think that in the process of, of attacking the culture of, you know, of, of PC talk, that we've either inadvertently or perhaps completely intentionally destroyed these building blocks and these methods of communication that allow us to remain civil. So I want to I wanna break that line of thought down a little bit yeah, in terms of the first it. part of, I don't, I can't think of a time in history in which there was a, a great amount of political discourse in exactly. terms of equality, right? Because if you want to go back to revolutionary times, I'd say the Federalist Papers was a great example of a literature backhand to people who disagreed. I mean, although if you read it like nowadays, it doesn't sound all that uh, so outrageous. Back then, it was, I would say, political discourse in terms of extremes to the nth degree, right? If you want to take it a little further, I mean, then you can take it back to like the 1800s in which people literally got beat with a cane in the Senate chambers. I mean, that's crazy. And if you go even further, you can take George Wood Wilson's presidency in which they were one of the most racist times in American history and racism was exploded on the, flat, on the House floor. I mean, almost every single decade in political history, there's a time in which people didn't disagree and were near animals about it. That being said, though, you have a point? Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, oh, I was going to say, I think we've established that, like, okay, so there's never really been civility in in discourse like political discourse within at least the ranks of government so i guess the question is okay if that's not really the issue of why everything seems so tumultuous today so at least with a couple things is it an inability to compromise that's the issue like just purely legislative incivility or is it maybe um literally just is it the fact that we've moved ideologically we've split so the right is moving right. The left is moving left. So civility just naturally breeds from that where we can't get anything done. I think you're right in a lot of that perspective. And you could go back to like President Clinton in which he utilized some white papers that were circulated in the Democrat Party and liberal parties around the world saying that if you wanted to be on the left, you had to be centralized if you wanted to win elections. That's what gave you Tony Blair in England, and that's what gave you Bill Clinton 
in the United States. It was centralizing of the left. And in response to that, the right, in terms of Bush Sr., and even people who ran after that, Bob Dole and perhaps his rhetoric, had to centralize as well. Nowadays, I think that our current media status looks back to the 90s and early 2000s in terms of we used to be so proper and we used to be so middle. And nowadays, we're just not. Yet if you look back to Reagan, Nixon, Goldwater, political moderation isn't necessarily a historic thing in the United States. What is a historic thing is overwhelming majority. I mean, from Theodore Roosevelt to Reagan, these people who had huge constituencies and oftentimes could push the entire nation to one degree or another. But nowadays, since almost everyone has a platform to speak from, you can't find the middle. And it doesn't feel, even if there is, doesn't feel as if there is an outstanding majority of perspective. So, Grant Daly, thank you for being on the show. Uh, but one more thing before you go. What is your prediction for the, uh, the Jayhawks' final record this season? Oh, gosh. I'm going 12-1 and one, all the way. Bring on Bama. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think maybe one or two more wins. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem super great. The disrespect. The, dis- the f- disrespect. The honesty. The, the overarching honesty. All right. Thanks, thanks for, for tuning in. Yeah. Well, thanks for yeah. being here. <laughs> you ruined my outro. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to episode two of the horse race. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be changing up gears a little bit. Listen to the podcast to find out how. Yeah.